Welcome to this week's edition of Comscore's podcast, Many Screens, Big Picture, with Paul Dergarabedian. On this episode, Paul speaks with John Fithian, the president and CEO of NATO, the National Association of Theater Owners. Great to have you here today, John. Thank you for joining me. It's good to be with you, Paul. Although, like everyone else right now, I'm with you remotely. So. And that's the only way we can do it right now. And obviously, uh, this global pandemic has presented a truly unique situation that's affecting virtually all aspects of daily life and all businesses and venues are closing or have closed around the world of all different types to ensure the health and safety of people in general. And that's having an immediate impact on many types of consumer-driven behavior. Of course, the movie theater is one of those. The movie theater last year had record global box office it's something, it's America's pastime, it's the world's pastime, is going out to a movie theater that has certainly changed within this small time frame and d- due to this temporary situation. But it's clear that people love going to the movies. I think already people are missing those outside the home experiences. And in fact, I feel like they're probably missing going to the movie theater more than almost anything else. And at the beginning of the year, we were off to a huge start, way ahead of, of last year for 2020 over 2019, and it's just an incredible set of circumstances. I know you're, you are the voice for theaters and, and for theater owners. This has got to be an incredibly challenging time. What are the biggest issues you're dealing with right now, and how are you advising your members? Well, first, Paul, thank you for, for having me on in these very challenging times. And I guess I would start by saying that, you know, 2018 was a record-breaking year for us domestically. 2019 was a record-breaking year for us globally, $40 billion at the global box office. We were humming along uh, as a really strong industry. And over the course of the history of our industry, people have said that the movie theater's dying when television came on or video cassette or DVD, then streaming. And, you know, as long as good content comes to our theaters and as long as our theater owners do a good job of offering a great experience in terms of sight and sound and experience food and beverage, people just love to get out of their homes and come to the cinema and enjoy a shared collective experience, laughing and crying with total strangers in the same place. And that's been our history for 100 years, where we've been cyclically up and down a little bit based on the film content, but generally a growing business. And like I said, the last couple of years, a record-breaking business. And as you said as you said at your beginning, though, Paul, we steamed into the beginning of the year with a couple of good months. We were looking at a, a, an up and down, but somewhat decent film slate this year. And then boom, along comes this virus in March. And for the first time in 100 years, every cinema was shut down and box office went to zero overnight. So it, it is a, a unique historical challenge in the history of our business and in the history of how Americans experience all content and, and enjoy all their entertainment. Yeah, that's really interesting too, because when you're talking about the in-theater experience, uh, I think that's really important. It's as important as the movie. That is experiential part of that. I think theaters have really never been better. When you look at the, the sight lines, the, the, the seating, the sound, the, obviously the picture. I think the theaters have done an incredible job. And I think that's why you're seeing people, even movies that may not get the best reviews, sometimes they do big box office. People are in that habit. They love going out to the movie theater. 
I think for me, what's what's really been the, a challenge for I'm sure you and for 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 myself is that there seems to have been a narrative that, that has gotten started as a reaction to this. I think a knee jerk reaction that at home entertainment, the boost that it's having now doesn't just represent a short term change on consumer or in consumer behavior, but a long term shift towards the small screen. As you point out earlier, television came along, movie theater right there doing great. Uh, the home video revolution, the home theater revolution, the streaming revolution, and the movie theater in 2019 had record box office around the world. But what do you what do you say to those people who think that this represents? And obviously, knowing that changes are afoot, we we don't know where this is all going to wind up. But what do you say to those people? Say this represents some kind of long term shift towards or in favor of the small screen. We think exactly the opposite is happening. And by that, I mean that the only way people can experience movies today is in their home. And despite how fantastic their home equipment is, um, it's not like going out to a movie theater. Uh, It may be the same kind of content, but it's not the same experience. And we believe that people are going to be shut down all around the world for several months. Right. And they're going to be just starving for that shared collective get out of the house experience. And so we believe that when this crisis is over, we can talk about how long it's going to take and and what we're trying to do literally to survive as businesses in the meantime. Uh, But when it's over, we believe we're going to have the strongest resurgence of movie going ever. And I'll give you just one little analogy. Uh, After the third Gulf War, um, all the theaters in Israel were shut down. And my friend Mookie Greidinger, who runs Cineworld, one of the, now one of the biggest companies in the world, but based originally in Israel, talked about how after those cinemas were shut down throughout the war, the strongest six months they ever had was when they came back up because people just want to get out of their home and experience what's going on. The challenge for us literally is to survive as businesses and to keep our employees able to pay their rent for the three or four months that this is going to take. And it looks like it really is three or four months. So let's just to talk about that for a second. So we are working night and day with federal authorities in Washington, D.C., with state authorities across the country. Our members in other countries around the world uh, are working with their own governmental authorities to help the businesses survive and the employees to be taken care of. And both of those are really important. We can talk about it more if you want to. Yeah, that is really important because I think we we talk a lot about content, platforms, and all the different things that go along with it, all the all the product, right? But there's people. It's not just about product, it's about people. And it seems to me what you've always been focused on, and now it's really come into sharp focus, is the the human component of those folks with under the wing of NATO, the 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 people that you represent. They're not just employees. They're they're I see that they're partners to you. If you want to talk a little more about that, I think that's really important because I think sometimes it's seen like all we talk about is well, how are the movies going to do and where the revenue is going to be? But that's all tied to the human element, the people who are where the rubber meets the road, where those people are in the front lines in the movie theaters serving people for, like you said, for 100 years. But really in the last 20, 30 years, just putting that customer service level up to an incredibly high standard. I, I would love for you to talk a little bit more about what your message is to those folks, the people who have just always loved the movies. And I think most people work in a movie theater, love the movies as well. 
You're, you're absolutely correct. We have about 150,000 hourly employees just in the United States. And you can take that and multiply it out exponentially around the world. But let's focus on the U.S. at this point. 150,000 people, typically entry-level jobs or senior citizens looking for a part-time job to come out of the home, but people who love the movies. That's why they get jobs in movie theaters. And when we shut down in mid-March, March 17th, March 18th, and shuttered 40,000 screens across the United States, that meant we had no shifts for 150,000 people. Now they didn't get fired, right? These are these are our people. Wow. They're they're trained yeah. now. They know how to operate a top-notch yeah. customer experience in their movie theaters. But we had no shifts for them, and they're hourly workers, which means that they were getting paid nothing. So we jumped in to do three things, right? The first is that we joined with our distribution partners and set up a relief fund through Will Rogers. We chipped in a couple million bucks into that so that our employees could could call and just get a few hundred bucks to pay groceries in the first couple of weeks that they were on furlough. But then we turned to Congress and lobbied very hard for a couple things. One is a direct payment of 1,250 bucks to anybody in the country making less than 70,000 who's been displaced by the virus. And then secondly, and most importantly, the best unemployment compensation provisions in the history of the country are gonna be in place for the next four months. So once those unemployment checks come through, our 150,000 employees and so many similarly situated Americans will have the same kind of income they had while they were working. And that's appropriate because it's not the movie theater's fault that we shut down. It's not the restaurant's fault that they shut down. This is a global pandemic that's shutting down everyone. And our employees need to be able to get by. It's really important that they get by with, with this unemployment compensation for four months. Because when we ramp back up, we need people who know what they're doing to come back to their places of employment and to be prepared and ready for the surge of movie going that we're going to see at the end of the year. So we're we're very, very pleased with the situation for our workers. And like you said, they're they're movie lovers. They have these jobs because they care about the art and the business of the movie theater. And we can't wait to get back up and running and have them working again. That's fantastic. I think that's a really huge part of this. And like you said, you don't want to lose those people because, you know, I think that it's that loyalty to them and how you're, I mean, it really is where NATO, I think, is so key because you have to be their voice. They're a collective of people, but there has to be one voice. And I think you've done a, a great job on that. And I'm sure all those folks cannot wait for the day when we all get to go back to the movie theater. And we'll get to this a little later, but I think there will be a slow warming up period for everyone. And again, this isn't just for movie theaters. This is for restaurants and all outside of the home venues. There's a lot of people making these big assumptions. And like you said, over the years, that's happened before. And certainly there has been, and I, I think this is a key point that, that's been talked about a lot, is that theatrical window. And the theatrical window has been sacred. And it's something when people say, well, maybe they should be shortened. I say, well, look at last year. We had coming online, Disney Plus, Apple Plus, all these, you know, streaming was booming. And yet we had a record year in movie theaters. To me, it seems that that theatrical window and then going to streaming is something that works. And, and if you need look no further than last year to see that in this brave new world of all this streaming and online content, small screen content, that the fact that the movie theater is still thriving and that the 
theatrical window, that time between a movie is released in theaters and then on home video is very important. I think people have become accustomed to that. I think there are people like me, when I saw Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, John, the minute I got home, I pre-ordered that movie. And it was kind of cool. It was like waiting for my birthday for when that two or three months down the really three months down the road, I could get that film. And it was just, it's something I've done my whole life. It used to be where I would go pay 80 bucks for a video. Remember those days where right. you go buy a beta, a beta tape at the, at the rental store and I would buy them and you had to really go that extra mile. And now what people are going to see even more that I think is going to come into focus is that people love movies and people who love movies love going to the movie theater. And that's their, I believe their first choice. That's to me, the engine that drives everything. People may call me biased and maybe I am, but I think if you talk to any filmmaker and I'm sure you've talked to filmmakers, a lot of them have been very vocal about their support for the movie theater. Can you talk a little bit about that? Do you have any insights on some of the filmmaker point of view, which I think is really important? But but two things there. You first talked about the theatrical window and then you talked about filmmaker support. And I wanna to touch on both of those. So our, our research shows that a window, a period of exclusivity in between the theatrical run and the home helps drive the business both in theatrical and in the home. And the reason for that is that our customers know if a movie's played theatrically and done well theatrically, it's a stamp of approval. It's a quality seal that then translates into those later uh, home sales. And shortening the window doesn't help to do anything other than signal to, to the consumer that it's, it's a less than good quality movie, right? So that, that sequence, that period of exclusivity is important for both businesses. Now, a lot of people have said that the ex exclusive, exclusive period, the window is being challenged now during the virus because so many of these movies that we're playing in our theaters are rushing to the home. Nothing could be further from the truth. I mean, what's happening is that movies were playing in our theaters and we had to shut down in order to protect the health of the American people. And it makes perfect sense that the studios uh, would take those pictures and take them quickly to the home What's the point of waiting two or three months when we're still going to be closed in two months? So these are very unique times where, uh, where the same type of business models just don't apply. But the good news is the vast majority of the movies scheduled for theatrical release in April and May and June, the months when we'll be down, are being rescheduled for theatrical release either later in the year or in early 2021. In other words, the, the studios and the business models for the studios and the filmmakers know, even though they can't release those movies theatrically now, they want them released theatrically later. So, for example, to transition into your question about the filmmakers, when this whole crisis started, Christopher Nolan called me and said, I'm, I'm working on my movie, Tenet. We're behind you. This movie has to play in theaters Chris wrote this beautiful op-ed that was published in the Washington Post that we circulated all around Congress about why, why his movies have to be played in cinemas and why the people that work in cinemas are so important to him. It was a touching, moving thing. And what, what Chris's piece did was, was then create this kind of um, uh, barrage of endorsement of the theatrical experience from other filmmakers and lots of people like John Chu. And it's a pretty long list of folks that then started tweeting out hey, we're with the cinemas, can't wait to get back to have our movies shown in those cinemas. So crisis produces true outpourings of support. And what we've seen from the filmmaking community 
about the need to have their movies in our cinemas theatrically later when we're over this crisis is just really reassuring. It's interesting, too, because you and I talking about is one thing, but people who for whom, including myself, filmmakers are like gods and Christopher Nolan is on Mount Rushmore of filmmakers, in my opinion, to have someone like that speak out. That to me is so powerful because, again, those are the those are the people that we look up to and that moviegoers look up to. I don't think moviegoers are given enough credit for knowing I talk to a lot of people and they know the cinematographers, the directors, the aspect ratios of these films and all that stuff. And so when a Christopher Nolan speaks out in favor of this industry, which I think he always has, he's spoken at uh, CinemaCon many times and he's a big proponent of the, the movie going experience, meaning the in theater experience. I think that's, that's really important. That's really cool. Uh, I think that can have a huge influence. And it does, I think you're right too about this snake and mongoose mentality that it's streaming versus the big screen or big screen versus small screen is just wrong. I, I think it's misguided, I should say. And when you have, I think there's more disruption. I think I've seen you, you quoted on this that streaming is disrupting the movie theater. I think I've seen you quoted saying actually streaming disrupts streaming more than it disrupts the movie theater. And I think you can see that right now. Oh, you're, com- you're completely right, Paul. And, and the cannibalization within the home platforms is real, right? DVD sales used to be a gigantic revenue earner for the studios and the distributors. And now it's not because uh, subscription pricing on streaming has kind of overtaken the home market. And that means a lot of people are watching good content in the home market, but they're not paying as much for it anymore. And the DVD sales have tanked. The end result is that the theatrical piece of the overall movie pie. What do I mean by that? You're a studio, you make a big movie, you distribute it theatrically and then all these other channels. The percentage of your total revenue base that comes from the theatrical piece has gone up substantially with the onset of streaming. And so even though streaming is bringing more content to more people in the home, it's economically shifting the importance of the business model to theatrical or as you described it earlier, the engine that drives the train. But there's a good part about streaming for theatrical, and that is that movie lovers are movie lovers wherever they can watch their movies. And the more good content people see in the home on streaming, the more they want to go to theaters for other content. And that sounds counterintuitive. I'll give you one example. I think you and I have talked about this in the past, and that is documentaries were almost dead theatrically about five years ago. Yeah, man. I mean... We couldn't we couldn't get people to come out to theaters to see documentaries. They came out of favor. Everybody just wanted action flicks. And then Netflix kind of reinvented the documentary. And people started watching documentaries on Netflix and said, wow, these are pretty cool. And then lo and behold, documentaries started making big money in cinemas again. So they 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 contribute to each other, theatrical and streaming. They're not they're not cannibalistic at all. And I think that's a good point to make, but I think there's a lot of clickbait out there, a lot of stories being written that are just trying right now to pile on this idea and that that streaming, you know, that that uh, video will kill the movie star, if you will. I, I just don't see that happening, but I, I don't know why there is that narrative being put out there because I think it's good for everyone, for for both of these platforms, if you will, to do well, because like you just said, one can feed the other. Oh, absolutely. I mean, it's not just uh, the in-theater experience, which we think obviously is the best way to experience a movie. 
but it, it's the ritual. It's the going out of your home. It's the, it's the making a date. It's connecting with all your friends and saying, what are we seeing this weekend? Right. And all these new apps that are available for people to group buy tickets and pick the right show times. It's, it's very much a ritual of leaving your house with, with extended family or a group of friends, but equally important meeting up in an auditorium with people you do not know and having a shared experience. But then the after experience is also important. Talking with your friends over a drink after the movie, going out to a late dinner if you didn't have dinner at the movie theater, uh, the next morning at the water cooler at work or the, or the break room at work, right? There's so many places in our lives where we share the experience of the theatrical movie before, during, and after seeing it. And all of those are interrupted right now because of the pandemic. It's the same for, you know, jazz clubs and music concerts and gyms and health workout spots and restaurants. Human beings are social creatures. And even as we continue to expand in the digital age, we need to connect with other people. We need to go to the same jazz club. We need to see the same movie at the same theater. We need to eat at the same restaurant as friends and extended groups of people and strangers. And we're missing all that right now. And we're doing the best we can as a society. Um, you know, my daughter's doing home learning in high school as a 17 year old and I'm working from home and you're working from home and, and uh, God bless those, those healthcare workers that have to be out on the front line right now, but everybody else is working or studying or living at home. And when that's over this, this desire to have that collective experience of getting out, we just think is going to be tremendous. And so here's, here's my prediction on the schedule. If I may add just a little bit, right? Nobody knows. Nobody knows exactly when this thing is going to be over. We consulted with the CDC. We're talking to all the local health experts. We're tracking what's happening in Asia and Europe. And it's almost impossible to tell. But I'm talking to the studios every single day about where, where we put a pin in the calendar of how things are going to happen. And the best we can tell as a guess, and I emphasize it's a guess, is that we open back up sometime in late May, early June. And that we spend a month being very careful ramping up. That we consult with health officials, you know, we probably have public, uh, more social distancing spacing requirements, and we're not going to be selling full capacity. We'll have all the cleaning rules back in line. We'll be very careful about ramping back up. We want people to be comfortable and safe as they, as they re-enter society, literally, if you will. And that hopefully will take about a month, which means that by July, we believe that we should be absolutely full bore. And I'm very excited that Chris's picture tenants on July 17th. Disney did us a big one in saying, we believe in this movie, move on. It's a global movie. We're putting it on July 24th. And we've got a great slate of movies in the last half of the year so that we can really, really, really go crazy. The hope is there is no second wave of this virus, which is why it's not just important for the little movie theater, of course. It's important for the entire society. People need to follow the rules now and stay home keep your social distancing and let this wave go through and be done so that we can all get back out of our homes this summer and, and rejoin society as we're all craving to do. Yeah, I think that's a, a great point and that these experiences outside of the home are so important. And look, we've always had the ability to listen to music at home, whether it be back in the day on vinyl, or I like to listen to vinyl today or digital, whatever it may be, but people still go to concerts. 
You can watch football on TV, but people love to go out, see a, a sporting event with the collective. And for me and you, the movie theater experience is something that we are just longing for. We can't wait. And I think it's really interesting what I would say to people who are predicting that this will be a long-term change in favor of the small screen is that the studios are waiting for the movie theater to come back. They're waiting because they want to be able to show Christopher Nolan's movie Tenet on the big screen, Mulan on the big screen, all the big films coming up. They are waiting. And I think there's a obviously a financial aspect to that. I don't know how you could have made $2.7 billion on a movie like Avengers Endgame, which is streaming revenue. So I think it's really important. I think this is going to be a, like you say, when these theaters come back, I think people are going to be super excited to go back. But like you said, there has to be a warming up here. I think consumer confidence is going to be really key in this. And so that for all venues outside of the home. Absolutely. Um, and a couple things in there, I'll just I'll comment on that you, that you said, yeah. Paul. One is kind of the the studio support and the movies being there and, and wanting to have their movies re-released theatrically. That's not just because they have a, you know, a fond place in their heart for the movie theaters. It's because their business model depends on it. The picture like Mulan, you, yep. you take that picture straight to the home and don't release it theatrically. And you've, you know, you've changed a, a billion dollar revenue picture or more into something much less than that. So their business models dictate, that they, that they hold over these pictures and release them theatrically. But they also do care about the experience as well, and so do their filmmakers. They're, but there's something about the right. schedule I wanted to add, and that is that a lot of people are saying, well, all the studios are postponing these movies from April, May, and June into the last half of the year. You're going to have a traffic jam. You're going to have too many movies in July through December, right? And that's just not the case, and here's why. The same three months when we're down as theaters and can't release movies – Production on future movies is also down. And so many of the movies currently scheduled for July through December of 2020 aren't finished, either in production or post-production, all of which has been shut down. And so those movies will get pushed into 2021. So if you think of it as this big jigsaw puzzle, you take the movies released, scheduled to be released theatrically in April, May, and June, move them into the last half of the year, and then the movies, some of the movies that were scheduled for the last half of the year that aren't finished with production, you move them into 2021. And it's almost like you've you've changed the position of the chess pieces, but the game hasn't changed, really. Um, so we're, we're it's tricky. Uh, the studios are all working on this, but we're, we're pretty confident that the slate's going to be great for the last half of the year, but not overcrowded because some of those pictures curling on the schedule are going to move, too. That's a great point. That's absolutely correct. And even, and you look at 2021 and, you know, we always say on paper this year that I, I think every year I say, we're going to have a record year. I'm known for that. <laughs> I don't know if that's good or bad, but I get so enthusiastic. I just, I'm just like, we're going to have a record year. But when you look at the content, the movies, I hate even to call them content, the art that is cinema. When you look at the film set for 2021, I think by that point, people are going to be so, and again, assuming we don't know the exact timeline right now, but it seems to me that that could be just an incredible year. And like the, the comeback story of, of all time, don't call it a comeback, but you know what I'm saying? It's call a, it a comeback as far as I'm concerned. That's, I mean, we, we're, we're doing zero business right now for no fault of our own. So it is going to be a, a major comeback. And, um, you know, if I could, if I could throw in CinemaCon here for a minute, our, our, our convention, for those that don't know, 
that was a hard thing to cancel that convention. Uh, it was a hard thing not to go to. <laughs> I know, you know, 5,000 of our best friends gathering in Caesar's Palace to celebrate the movie-going experience. It was going to be our 10th year. But the good news is this, and this is related to your point about the comeback story, is that, is that CinemaCon 2021 will be held in late April in Las Vegas. And I believe that that will be the celebration of the greatest comeback ever in our business because we will have been through very dark days in March, April, May, and June with, a, with what we hope to be a little bit of a ramp up in June. And then we think we're going to do gangbusters in July through December. The overall yearly totals, let's not kid ourselves, our companies are strapped because we're missing a huge pot of revenues and we still have fixed costs during this downtime. So economically, it's really, really difficult. And we're working with Congress to try to help with all of that. But when we get back up between July and then April at CinemaCon is going to be just so much fun with so many great movies and so many people out of their homes having a good time again that I think CinemaCon 2021 is going to be the best celebration we've had in our business in a very long time. I, I love that idea. I've been going every year since uh, the mid-90s and haven't missed a one. So this kind of ruined my streak. But it wasn't my fault. It was nobody's fault. There was no fault here. <laughs> and I think you're right. I think 2021 is going to be a huge uh, CinemaCon cinematic celebration, if you will, because I think there's going to be this just, and this is true for everyone and everything, there's going to be a collective sigh of relief. And I always point to other times in our history where there have been uh, really tough times. This is clearly uh, highly unusual and perhaps the most unprecedented thing to happen in our lifetime. But what we do know is that people love going to the movies. They love being together. They can't wait to do it again. The small screen is filling that void for now. But I think it's going to instill in people an even greater appreciation of all these things they do outside of the home, but particularly going out to the movies. And I think once we get there, everyone will be super happy. Amen to that. We are, we're so looking forward to it. Well, thank you, John. Do you have any uh, last uh, comments you'd like to make? Just just a couple of thank yous, right? Thank you, Paul, for, for taking the time to have this discussion at what is just essentially important, challenging part of our history, right? And in, in movie going and the movie going experience. And thank you to all of our partners in Hollywood, uh, the film studios, the movie directors, the frontline people that work to make movies and distribute them to our cinemas. I know you guys are hurting too. Uh, it's not just us, right? That production's down and business is down and everybody's got to hang in this together because when we come back up on the opposite side, we're really going to celebrate this experience together and just wanted to thank all the folks in the industry that are sticking with us. Well, John, thank you so much for that. I, I can't wait to celebrate in person with you and it's going to be a great day, something really to look forward to. I am honored that you appeared today on my podcast for Comscore and I really appreciate it. Thank you so much. Thank you, Paul. Good friend. 